Coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about culture and what culture looks like within companies now and moving forward. Now on the next Moody and 40. So last week we we talked a lot about foundation, you know, and what that looks like to build out a foundation in order to have something uh, stick and and be able to prosper with how that looks. Today I want to talk about culture, and I think culture is a, a pretty, you know, it's a popular thing right now in terms of what's happening with it, and we're going to talk uh, specifically about at work. Uh, obviously you could utilize this in your personal relationships and family and whatever else. But I want to talk about what culture, you know, looks like in the, in the workplace. So, you know, obviously you've got a lot of different forms of, of work. You know, you could be a, a solo entrepreneur, you could be leading a small sales team, a large sales team. Uh, you could be the CEO of a company. Companies today, I mean, especially after what we've just gone through in the last year with COVID, things are changing and things are changing rapidly. You know, gone are, I'm not going to say gone, but we're seeing a lot less and a, and a lot more thought put behind, you know, does the traditional workplace of going into a building and sitting in an office work uh, compared to what we've seen over the last year? A lot of people have been working from home. People have gotten accustomed to that. Companies have gotten accustomed to that. You see commercial real estate prices way down because people have said, hey, we, we don't need the space. It's overhead that we don't need to pay. Um, you know, Obviously, you've got a lot of different types of businesses. It's not going to fit everything into one box. You, you've got people that are running uh, a business like plumbing or electrical or air conditioning. I mean, obviously, they're, they're always accustomed to being out, out and about doing different things. Uh, they might have an office, but I think a lot of those people have moved to home offices. The the types of companies I want to focus on more for this episode, though, are you know your your marketing firms, your sales teams, manufacturing with a sales component. So really trying to stick to you know kind of the sales idea and, and what's happening with sales teams and and how they're going to operate. You know, it's interesting over. The span of my professional career, I've been involved in a lot of different types of cultures. Uh, when I when I first think of culture, I kind of think of you know what's what's the temperature of the room that you're walking into in the office? Is it rigid? You know, I've worked in places where they require you to have a shirt and tie on. I've worked in other places where it's extremely casual. You know, and you could have a t-shirt uh, basically. Uh, that's just one component, though the dress component. Uh, I have, I've spent some time working not as an employee for, but doing projects for Google and working at Google, <laughs> it was unlike anything I had ever seen. You know, it was, uh, the culture was mainly comprised of younger people. It was like watching uh, that movie, The Intern, if you've ever seen it. And you had people mainly under 35, but more so in their uh, early to mid 20s. They had uh, bikes painted in Google colors and they would pedal them around from meeting to meeting. Uh, every day breakfast was brought in and catered, same as lunch, because their thought was, hey, if we 
go ahead and feed our people. It's less time that they're going out to lunch or, you know, spending time away from work. So uh, it was very interesting. I had never seen that. And one really interesting note, I would always ask the people that work there, like, hey, what do you think of this? And they said, what do you mean? And so I noticed that Google was targeting a lot of people that were coming right out of college. So this is all they had ever known. You know, they had only ever known a catered breakfast, a catered lunch, a bike to pedal around to meetings, uh, a slide where you go from one floor to the next. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty bizarre. And you could dress in whatever you want it to dress in. And I use that word bizarre because for me, that's something I had never seen. Uh, but to them, that was the only culture they had ever known professionally. So very interesting. So I started out with that story for a reason because I think it's a pretty radical concept into what we're going towards. You know, I think if we went back uh, into the 50s and 60s and 70s, you know, it was defined as commute to work, be dressed up, uh, punch a clock, take a lunch, punch another clock, come home. You know, then as we started to evolve into the 90s and early 2000s, and the internet started to establish itself as, you know, basically how business is done, uh, now things started to change. So I want to focus on four different components of culture. I mean, we could we could build culture out. I've taken an organizational culture class uh, from my MBA, but I want to focus on four things. So those four things I want to talk about are what I think are probably the four most important things to cultures if if I were going to build one for a company. And they're in no particular order. Uh, lead by example, be the change you want to see, the golden rule, and then a defined strategy and transparency. So let's talk about each one. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is leading by example. So if I were to build a sales team and really any type of workplace, but let, let's just stick to the sales team because it's easier to apply these four things you know, to a sales team. And I think a good majority of you that are listening work in sales or sales management, or you can apply you know, how we would build a sales team to what you're actually doing. Uh, so leading by example, in any position I've ever had, I think I've enjoyed it exponentially more if there's been somebody at the top that leads by example. Uh, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be in business. When I was in the military, I would equate leadership to the squadron commander that I had in the Air Force. And I had some squadron commanders that you would never see. They were never available to you. Uh, you really didn't even know what they were doing other than, you know, everything seemed to function. Then I had others that when we went out to do physical training, they wanted to run faster than everybody that was there. They wanted to do more push-ups, more sit-ups, more pull-ups, uh, get a perfect score on body composition when they take into account how much you weigh compared to your height and calculate your uh, body mass index. Everything they did they wanted to encompass the core values of the military, uh, excellence in all you do, service before self. And when you really that excellence in all you do, they wanted to exude that not so much they were better than you, 
but they wanted to set the standard of where they want it, not only themselves to be, but everybody else to be as well. And I always thought that was a huge motivating factor. If there was a guy out there that was older than me and working much harder than me, even though I thought I was working pretty hard, that's something that I aspired to do. You know, uh, in in the private sector, I, I think back to a job, one of the first jobs I ever had, uh, working for a small regional airline called Cape Air. Uh, th- that regional airline, they're they're still in business today. If you're located outside of, or if you're in New England, you've probably heard of them. Even outside of New England, they have different bases all over the place. But talk about a place that know, knew how to establish a culture. And it did exactly what I was talking about with this lead by example. So first off, they had an acronym that to this day, over 20 years later, I can still remember uh, Mocha Hagati, make our customers happy and have a good time doing it. And I, I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, because it was easy to remember. And really, every day that you went to work there, it was a special group of people that you worked with. Everybody got along for the most part. And the customers really seemed to enjoy the experience. And I think that was all led by the person that ran the company, Dan Wolf. Dan started that company. And not only was he a pilot and a, and a business professional, but Dan would get out and fly routes for the Cessna 402 back and forth from Boston to Nantucket or Boston, the vineyard or wherever they were going to go on the route structure. Dan also was a mechanic. So he could go and work on the planes and fix them. You would also see him at the ticket counter, uh, greeting people as they checked in for a flight, You know, helping people change tickets. He knew everything about that aspect of it. He would be putting bags on planes. Like At that point in my life, I was in college and that's what I was doing. So here we are, 18, 19, 20 year old kids throwing suitcases inside of the luggage compartment of a Cessna 402 and he's standing right beside us doing the same exact thing. And so every aspect of that company, he was out setting the bar as to how he wanted those passengers treated and he wanted to create an experience. And so I, you know, to this day, I always think of him as a leader in a company that was leading by example. He was showing everybody in that company, I'm not above you uh, at all. What you're doing is just as important as this person over here. And so I, I always thought that was pretty neat. And he established a culture, you know, almost single-handedly where people, I mean, we would work just ungodly hours, go in at six in the morning and work till eight o'clock at night. And we would literally have a good time doing it. You know, we would enjoy the work that we did and the people that we worked with. And I, I thought that was, you know, a great example of what, what it was to actually lead by example. So be like Dan. You know, I even in in what I do, I want to lead by example. I'm not working like crazy to show that I'm better than people. I'm working like crazy because I want to do my part, and I hope I'm motivating other people to want to work just as hard. Uh, the second one is be the change that you want to see. So this, I think just about anybody can relate to. Uh, and it goes back to in an earlier, uh, podcast episode, I was talking about, you know, do you want to play the victim card? Cause it's easy to do, or do you want to, you know, get angry? Cause that's easy to do too. Uh, instead of just griping and complaining about the job that you're in or the work that you're doing, you know, I, I look at it this way, be the change that you want to see. 
if there's a solution to make yourself better and your team better, bring it to the people that can actually carry out that decision and make that happen. Uh, you know, old practices with with companies that have been around for a while are really common because the number one thing is people don't want to change. They resist that change. So if you can come up with a solution, uh, and I, I would say do a test case of it. Do a test case of what that problem looks like and show a solution and bring that to management and say, hey, I know people or maybe even I have complained about this. What if we tried it this way? And by the way, I've already done that with this particular client over here or you know, issue that we're having. And here are the metrics, you know, this is what they thought, or this is how much money I sold or, you know, whatever metric you want to use and bring that to them, you know, and, and get input from that. I think honestly, it's incredible with, with what you can do, uh, in order to make that happen and, and bring that together. You know, it goes back to, uh, I, I hear in just about any job I've ever had, you know, oh, we're working like crazy or underpaid, uh, and not in one job in particular, but the, it usually pops up. And, you know, I think, I think there's a way to look through that, you know, rather than griping and complaining, you know, be that change that you want to see. And it's tough. It's, I, I, I'm guilty of it. Everybody's guilty of it. You get down on your job, you get down on the people you work with, you get down on the management team that you have. And, you know, you sit there and say, you know, you gripe and complain and play the victim and, oh, I, I can't stand this job. Come up with a list of things that you think they could be done differently, that you could do it this way. Talk to other people on your team that you're close with and say, hey, I know we've been complaining about this, but what if we try it this way? I, I have been and it seems to be working. And I think then it becomes with that particular component of be the change you want to see is getting receptiveness from the management team. You know, a lot of times, if you have a management team that's very type A and, you know, hey, we're setting what you should do and you just carry it out. We really don't care what you think. I mean, that's unfortunate if it's that way, but it's something I think if you show that type of management team enough, like, hey, I've been, I've been trying it this way and it works, you know, oh, okay, well, maybe we should try it that way. And I think you have to talk in terms of metrics and numbers and convincing to show them that it can actually, you know, go that way. The third one is, uh, I'm going to poach from a company my wife used to work for, is the golden rule. You know, this one I think is, if we, if I was going to rank any of these four above the others, this one is great, you know, because it not only applies to the people that you work with, but mainly the, the people, your clientele that you're helping on a daily basis, you know, treat others like you would want to be treated. And you know, that can sound kind of kumbaya and, oh yeah, that's great, you know, but we need to get to work. But if you really think that through, I mean, in terms of four seasons, uh, they strive to be the greatest hotel chain in the world. And, and they do that by treating others the way they wanted to be treated. And then it's an overload even on top of that. I mean, they, they do things like they want to get to know you as a client and they want to know what type of room you like, what type of pillows you want to use, what type of food you eat, what type of drinks do you like to drink? Um, what are your preferences so they can get to know you as a client and better serve you? And I think the power that exists in that 
is immensely powerful. You know, I mean, that would be an example of how you treat your client. You know, what about the people that work for you or the people you work with or the people you work for? I mean, if it's common sense, but if you look at those people and say, you know, hey, I, I'm tired of getting treated this way. You know, why, why, are, why am I being treated this way? Or, you know, sometimes just soliciting feedback from the people that work for you. Like, hey, are you happy with the way that, the way, how things are going? You know, what do, what do you want? Uh, I, I see more and more, you know, I, I worked with a, with a guy who, um, he was one of the managers above me. And he took me aside one day and he said, hey, I noticed that you've been working like crazy. You're traveling all over the place. He's like, I want to share some wisdom with you. I'm about 30 years older than you. And I think conversations like this are fun because we always get into, you know, if I could go back five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever the case may be, this is something I would do different. And he said to me, you know, my wife and I, we worked like crazy our whole lives and we always looked at retirement. I just have to get to retirement. I got to work like crazy now and we'll enjoy the retirement. And I came in and I worked at times seven days a week and I worked 12 to 15 hour days, a good chunk of the time during the five days of the week, Monday through Friday. And I worked and worked and worked. And he said, and now I'm in my early 60s. My wife passed away from cancer unexpectedly a few years ago. I worked so much. I, I lost all relationships that I had with my kids and I, they don't even talk to me. And I've got a bunch of money in my bank account, but I've, I have nothing to show for it other than money. And he's like, get back, you know, make sure you're spending time and doing things that are important with the people that you really care about and you want to be around. And, and I think, you know, even that plays into the golden rule, you know, taking a step back and looking at, am I, am I prioritizing things correctly? You know, because treating other people the way you want to be treated, I'm sure that guy's kids look even to this day and say, man, I wish he had treated me the same way he treated my, his clients or, you know, the different accounts that he had as he was building that business. Uh, because not everybody's going to see it the same way. You know, just because you're adamant about, I've got to build my business and I've got to work 15 hour days. I mean, do you? How are you using that time? You know, I mean, if you if you do a cost analysis, a cost benefit analysis on a particular task that you're looking at, yeah, that sounds great. You know, as the as the budding entrepreneur or the or the top sales guy, you know, VP of sales, well, I need to work 15 hour days. Do you? Because it sounds like you're not delegating time in a way that is probably beneficial for everybody involved. Focus on what you do well and delegate the things that you don't do well or the things that you struggle with. And I think, again, that ties in to that golden rule. Um, so just being able to identify that and recognize that. And the fourth one is a defined strategy and transparency. This one, I think, is immensely important as well because you look at how, do you, how are you going to get somewhere? And this kind of goes back to the foundation building too, but how are you going to get somewhere if you don't know where you're going? And I think even worse than that is what if you know where you're going, but it's down the wrong path, you know? And so this is a matter of checks and balances and being able to build out a culture of people that are going to take the strategy that 
you're working with. What is your goal with the business that you have, the product that you're selling, uh, the service that you're selling? What is it? You know, we just talked about four seasons. You know, to me, their strategy would be sell a room to a client and let them just completely unwind and relax and pamper them with every single thing hospitality-wise that makes sense to them. Okay, that's great. That's your strategy. How are you going to get there? And so, you know, that's why we were talking about last week, building that foundation. But the culture piece is immensely important too, because if you don't have people that believe in what you're doing and why you're doing it, they're going to start to suck the energy out of the room and they're going to get in the way of where you're going. Um, you know, I, I think the other word I said with this is transparency. Now, I've worked at companies like General Electric where they had a very defined strategy, but the transparency was buried. I mean, you didn't know really where you stood or if we were going in the right direction because there were so many layers of bureaucracy in the actual operation. You know, we had people over in England, we had people in Houston, we had people uh, in other parts of Europe, we had people in other parts of the US, we had people over in Asia. I mean, it was a global organization that was constantly working together, but a lot of that was hidden from different levels of management. So, you know, we had a, a mission or a strategy, you know, to sell certain types of equipment, but the transparency would get hidden. And I think that's really important, you know, especially if you're going to have a sales team, lay it out there. What is the strategy? This is the, our strategy. This is what we plan to do. And you know what? We are going to follow up on that strategy every single week, month, quarter, whichever works in a series of phone calls, face-to-face -face meetings, however you're going to structure it. And we're going to, and we're going to come up with some mission statements in that strategy. You know, this is what we've set out to do. This is how many products we've set out to sell. These are the markets we want to service. And this is how we're going to do it. And I think as you look at all the answers to those questions, it's vitally important to understand that we all know the answers. It's not getting hidden because we're afraid we're going to fall short of our Q1 sales goal or our Q2 sales goal. We want to know what it is. And the other side of that is too, this is a huge pet peeve of mine in sales. When you have a sales forecast, and let's just say for the ease of numbers, our, our forecast is a million dollars. So you know that each quarter, you know, let's just say we're in a we're in an industry where every quarter is equal. It's not something that's gonna trend more in one quarter than another. You know, it's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a quarter. You know, so we could break that down to week, month, day, whatever we want to do, whichever metric we want to use it to measure. But when we know that we're getting towards the end of that quarter and we're about to hit 250,000 and management comes back and says, okay, so what else do you have? Cause that, that's really, you know, that was kind of like if we were grading it out on an A through F scale, that would kind of be a C. So are you going to rise above that or are you going to be below it? And I think that is a key part of transparency that sales organizations just get wrong every single time. You know, this isn't a matter of finding your star salesperson. This is a matter of we have a number and we have to achieve it. Uh, and so I think if you're going to set that strategy, you have to be transparent with that. We expect you on March 31st at the end of Q1 to have sold $250,000 in products. Great. You know, if you're above that, great. But we, we are just looking to check a box. Did you do that? 
check, you know? And I think that's important because what it leads to is animosity from your sales. Number one way to piss off your sales team is to set that number and then start to say things like, well, you know, a gym over there, we know it's 250,000. He's at 400,000. So you're only at 250. Uh, don't don't start comparing. If you want to ruin a culture, compare compare people that way. If you want to enrich the culture, maybe it's hey Jim's at four hundred thousand. Let's ask him what he's been doing, and maybe we can you know pull from him some things that he's been doing that the rest of us aren't. That is a very different conversation than comparing your number to somebody else's number. And and just the overall, well, what else do you have? Well, you told me that you wanted this number. And I've worked really hard to get to that number, you know? And so I think just that defined strategy and the transparency behind that uh, is vitally important for the culture piece as well. You know, we can come up with different examples all day long. I mean, I'd probably be interesting to do a whole episode on uh, what workplace cultures have been like in the different positions I've had over my, you know, 20 year career in in doing different types of business. one that I'll leave you on, which I think is pretty exciting too. I mean, I talked about Google, where they have a very progressive culture, uh, where you know things are happening that would have never happened a long time ago, and you know just beanbag chairs and catered breakfasts and riding bicycles to meetings. That's great. I talked about Cape Air and leading by example, uh, and and I thought you know, that was a pretty neat thing and four seasons and how they do things. Another place I'll, I'll, I'll end on is SpaceX. So I've done some contract work with them out in Southern California. And this was unlike anything I had ever seen, you know, from a culture standpoint, it's got a little bit of Google with a little bit of Cape air, um, mixed in. And I think, you know, first off you walk into the building and it looks like a stock exchange. I mean, there are people just going in every which direction. There's meeting rooms all over. The meeting rooms are named after different uh, aviation milestones. You can walk right by uh, Elon Musk's office and see him sitting in there, although he's normally not because he's gone or he's out on the floor or, or doing something. Uh, they they have a, a pretty high end cafeteria where the food, you know, is <laughs> is not like your your typical hamburger or hot dog. I mean, it's it's healthy food. I mean, they have all different kinds of options. But the thing that really I think is exciting about SpaceX from a culture standpoint is, you know, they have somebody leading by example with Elon. I, I don't think Elon takes any time off. He he is there working by example. And so is I think the great thing about culture is there's no right or wrong. You know, there there's not one way to do it that's better than another. It's just that culture is going to act as a magnet to the people that it pulls into that company. So there's Elon out doing a little bit of everything, kind of that Dan Wolf example that I talked about at Cape Air. Uh, but in terms of the change that you want to see, I mean, this is on display. Everybody there looks at uh, the control center where they have a room inside their building in Hawthorne that's massive. And it's mission control for SpaceX. And they have, you know, whatever project they're working on, Falcon, Delta, I mean, they have the rocket up on the screen. When they do a launch, everybody in the company is watching that screen. 
I mean, they're gathered around, they're cheering because everybody played a role in how that operation went. You know, when I was there, I was doing some work with the non-destructive testing team. That was one small component of what went into that. I mean, you had uh, people in sales selling the payloads that were going to go onto those rockets. You had uh, aerospace engineers that were actually building the actual components that went into it. Uh, you had support roles, you had finance people, but everybody played a role in coming together to make that mission happen. And as that company evolves, I have no doubt that culture will continue to sustain itself because it's a sexy, exciting company to be a part of. And the expectation is if you come on board, you are going to work like crazy. We are going to work you to the bone, but it's different because you have an objective, you have a strategy and the transparency is there. Like, Hey, this is what we need to do. And by all means necessary, we're going to make that happen. And then the resultant is you get to go up and watch that thing launch or watch that engine be produced. And you get to see the evolution of the company from where it started to where it's going. So, you know, I think culture is important. Think about the culture that you're in right now in your workplace. What works? What doesn't? What would you like to see more of? Be the change you want to see. You know, start to treat people in a way that you'd like to be treated. And whether you're 22 or 82 and you're out there working, you know, help to find that strategy and carry it through. Uh, you know, be that be that Dan Wolf type. And if you don't run the company, you know, expect more from your leadership and, and tell them that. Say, hey, I, I want to work as hard as I possibly can, but you need to give me a plan. You need to measure it. You need to give me feedback. So uh, culture, you know, hugely important. It builds upon the foundation and it continues this evolution process of where we're going. I hope you got something out of today's episode. Uh, feel free to interact with me. I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback from people, uh, text messages, you know, interaction on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, feel free to, to email me. You know, I, I'm, I'm all for that. So I, I would love more feedback as to what other types of episodes you would love to hear. Uh, you can always reach me at, uh, you know, text me. It's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me, 858-210-0367. And uh, send me a note. Tell me what you like about this, what you don't like, and, and how I can serve you moving forward. Hope you have a great weekend. Look forward to talking to you on next week's episode. Take care.